I say this over and over again in all the previous podcasts, but I love how something as simple as a bow can bring so many people together and create all these connections. So it's, it's really cool. Yeah. Archery is awesome. I mean, that's all I have to say about it. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a driving force for me from the beginning and it's something that I'll do till, till I'm dead. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Love that. Welcome to the Range Podcast. I'm Ricky Bruley, and with me is Jake Hollywood Iverson. Join us at the Archery Range, where we'll tell stories from the hunt, discuss technical bow shooting tactics and gear, and pick the brains of some of the most successful people to ever shoot a bow. Whether you're about to shoot that X for the win or send an arrow at a trophy buck, this podcast is for you. Range Podcast is brought to you by Vapor Trail Archery, makers of the best bowstrings money can buy, originators of limb-driven arrow rest technology, and innovators of stokerized stabilizer systems. Welcome to The Range, everybody. I'm your host, Ricky Bruley, and today we are recording from my home studio. As you can see, it's pretty fancy. I'm over here in a spare bedroom, got a little bit of storage back here, but you know what? There's a lot of things in this room, helps keep the echo down, and, and it actually sounds really good. So things have been incredibly busy. As some of you may know, I've got a ton of irons in the fire right now, so it's been difficult for me to find time to record uh, in the Vapor Trail studio. So here we are. Thank you all for joining us today. You can find the video version of this episode on the Vapor Trail YouTube channel, so please head on over and subscribe. Give us a like and hit that bell so you can be up to date on all things archery. Don't forget to follow us at the Range Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook, as well as Vapor Trail Archery and Stoker Eye Stabilizers. On the show today is a force to be reckoned with in the mountains of the West. Whether he's nerding out as a hydrologist with the U.S. Forest Service, hunting, skiing, or biking, Josh Boyd will spend over 200 days a year in the backcountry. Josh is a Sitka big game ambassador, and another notable passion is his love for writing, which has donned the pages of Bowhunter Magazine, Eastman's Bowhunting Journal, and Rockslide.com, just to name a few. Stick around. This was a great conversation. You're not going to want to miss it. Well, hey, Josh, thanks a lot for being here today. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Yeah. Mm surviving here in western montana doing yeah. awesome actually yeah <laughs> that's awesome yeah it's kind of a kind of a strange uh thing going on here in, uh, for january i'm in minnesota and we have no snow i'm looking out the window right now and it's just it's bizarre uh, i've never had in all the years never had this happen so is it is it similar to that like that for you over there as far as the climate and everything yes yeah absolutely yeah we had a uh, week and a half ago, we had 14 inches of snow here on the ground. We had, you know, 35, 40 below weather or degrees below zero Oof. at that time. And we had some snow and now it's, I got up this morning, it was 36 and we have maybe, I don't know, four or five inches of hard, hard snow out there. And it's just been, it's been warm. Like December was warm, January was warm. We had that one, you know, seven, eight days of cold, cold weather, but it's back to that really warm temp. Hmm. It's a little, little, little scary. Yeah. It, it kind of makes you wonder if this is going to be just kind of an isolated deal for this season. And we're going to kind of go back into, you know, what we've had in the past or if it's going to, if it's going to, you know, play out for a few years. Yeah. I hear people <laughs> use the term, this is our new norm. But yeah. I know, I know what we're experienced right now is due to the, you know, the oscillation of the ocean temperatures mm -hmm. and it was predicted, um, 
back in January or no, back in September, October, I was looking at the, that the forecast, the extended mm-hmm. forecast. And they were saying my part of the world of the, you know, of the Northwest part of the United States, we're, they were looking at hot or warmer temperatures and less precip. So, and mm-hmm. they've been spot on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But hopefully next year we're, we're out of this cycle because we definitely right. need, need the water. We need the snowpack. Yeah. Yeah. Makes me a little bit worried about some, some things, you know, for the future, but we'll, uh, well, the only thing we can do is just wait and see, right? Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about yourself and also your archery origin story. Like what got you into archery and then, you know, eventually into bow hunting. Yeah. So I was raised in, uh, I was, you know, born in the seventies, raised as a seventies child, free range, my parents kind of jumped around. They worked for the, my dad worked for the forest service and he kind of mm. bounced around between, you know, places in Montana and Idaho. But my, some of my earliest memories of uh, childhood were just running around in the woods by myself and with other kids kind of in the same, same neighborhoods mm-hmm. with making spears and bows and whatnot <laughs> out of willows and just yeah. running wild out there. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, like, I would just grab my little willow bow that my dad helped me make, and I would walk around the woods pretending I was, like, shooting elk and deer and whatever. I mean, that's all I wanted to do since I was a little kid Mm -hmm. was go hunt. And I was intrigued with archery for some reason. My dad wasn't a bow hunter, Mm -hmm. but when they moved to this small town in western Montana, I ran around with some kids in the the neighborhood right behind our house and their dad's bow hunted and they had, Mm. um, you know, early eighties style, like PSE bows were really big out here Mm -hmm. and they had, um, you know, just these, these, some of them had recurve limbs. Most of them were straight limbed, little tiny, tiny wheels on them, (laughs) steel cables with the teardrop and the Dacron strings. And they Mm. were shooting like really high poundage to get extra speed. (laughs) Like I remember some guys were shooting like a hundred pounds. Yeah. That's, that's wild. Insane. And they had, you know, aluminum arrows and big, heavy, long plastic fletch. And there's a lot of recurve hunters here as well. Yeah, But I just remember seeing a couple of these guys bringing elk back mm-hmm. in September when I was like, you know, nine, eight, nine, ten, And I was like, that, I just, that's what I want to do. I want to bow hunt elk. That is like my life's yeah. goal. And so yeah. I, I traded, um, I had a fly rod that my dad had given me maybe for my birthday or something. And I ended up trading that fly rod to my buddy down the street for a old Sears compound bow oh, that I couldn't go. really even pull back. It was like 50 pounds. They used to sell those in like JC Penny and the Sears catalog. And, uh, I, I traded him a fly rod for the thing and I, I couldn't draw it, but I wanted to shoot it so bad. So my parents were like, let's go down to the archery shop and we'll get the guy. We'll have the guy, you know, maybe get a bow that'll fit you. You seem yeah. like you're interested. Mm-hmm. So I got a little Martin Little John wooden riser, and man, I just I took that thing everywhere, hunted everything I could: chipmunks, ground squirrels, you know, rock, songbirds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of how I started. I just uh, and the 
my some of my friends' parents would kind of help me out. The ones that did bow hunt, they'd be like, "Come mm-hmm. down to our, our yard. We have a bale set up. You can shoot here anytime." They would teach me how to shoot, form, help me adjust my sights. You I know, mean, shooting fingers releases weren't a thing at the time. I mean, they yeah. were starting to kind of come around, but I mean, mm-hmm. people really were just shooting fingers. Right. So yeah, it was it was a wild time. It was <laughs> kind of fun to be part of it. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned willow trees. My neighbor absolutely hated me and my buddies because they had a willow tree in their yard, and we would go over there and then just grab a, you know, because you can grab the branches, and then we would just hang from them and just rip the branch off. And then you could take, you know, the thicker part, use that as your bow, and you could use the thinner part at the end as your string. And then we, you know, whittle arrows and stuff. And, man, we could shoot those things pretty far. I mean, not accurately, but we would just, you know, yeah. just launch them. Um, and it just just brought me back to to those times, and that's really kind of where where mine sparked too. And then you know, eventually, you know, I was hunting with my dad and started doing that. But um, you had mentioned that uh, you work for the Forest Service. So tell, tell us a little bit about that. I noticed like on your Instagram page, you classify yourself as a stream nerd, <laughs> which I thought was, which I thought was pretty funny. Speak, speak a little bit more about that. Cause that, that's pretty intriguing. And, and obviously, you know, you're talking about weather patterns and stuff like that. So that probably has a lot to do with your day to day, right? Yes. Yeah. So I work for the forest service in the field of hydrology. So, um, basically I just, monitor, measure water streams, water quality, sediment levels, um, stuff like that. So it's all mostly dealing with surface water. So anything that flows off the landscape, some of it, I deal, I deal a little bit with groundwater and how it interacts with surface water, but that my day-to-day job is monitoring stream flows, sediment loads, and what else? Um, just, yeah, water quality and water volume. Um, we do, me and my coworkers will initiate like stream restoration projects where we'll, you know, we'll look at a river and see whether or not it's, you know, damaged and kind of come up with a solution to repair it. So, yeah, that's kind of, kind of the bulk of it. Just every day out and about in the stream channels yeah so i guess to get to your your question what why why am i a stream nerd it's just because that i mean it's a huge part of my job but i just i look at streams through a certain lens and i look at this the shape and the texture of them and just i all the training that i've had and all the training that i've given to other people it's just it's really kind of just made me kind of nerd out about streams. I, mm-hmm. I have a just a huge interest in them. I love to look at them. There's some type of beauty in looking at them from at ground level, uh, looking at them from the aerial level. I love aerial shots of, of streams and just looking at their form and their function and how they, how they work through the landscape. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just, kind of geek out on them. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but um, one of Aldo Leopold's sons was a like a pretty famous, he ended up becoming a, a pretty famous hydrologist and okay. was a professor at uh, UC Berkeley. Mm. His name was Luna Leopold. And uh, he was kind of the 
kind of the godfather of like modern hydrology. Okay. Um, wow. Super, super interesting guy. I mean, yeah. worked his magic in a whole different, you know, realm that we're in now, but back in the, you know, fifties, sixties and seventies, he was, you know, laying the groundwork for what we have today. And a lot of the basic knowledge that we have, you know, from bed load to suspended sediment, to channel morphology, all these weird concepts in the hydrology world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's just kind of neat that, um, it all kind of ties back to this kind of well-known ecologist slash wildlife biologist right from who really had a major impact on on uh conservation in the right. uh, united states yeah and it, it was interesting i you know because you've got a film here that you posted um a little while back anyways but uh you know and there's some really cool information in there that i i didn't know and and before i even you know i read your caption and you had kind of discussed a little bit about like reconstruction. And I, I found that kind of interesting too. And then as I watched the film, you know, it just makes sense how you can kind of move some things around in order to certain things, make certain things happen. And I don't want to get too much into detail because I I think everybody should go to your Instagram page and and sift through it. One thing, give you a follow and then also check out that video because it's, it's really interesting. You're going to learn some stuff that probably you didn't know before, you know, especially, especially if you're like in the conservation world and and you have concerns about all that kind of stuff. So definitely go check that out. Yeah. I was just going to say, make, making that film was, you know, that was part of, that's sort of a passion project for me. Um, you know, I was approached by a group that wanted to see something made that kind of covers some of the work that I do. Um, but also, you know, with other partners, I'm just, mm-hmm. it's not just me by myself doing this work. I, it's a whole host of people. Right. Um, but I'm just a single player, but I really have a passion for the work that we do. And just like, I love to, be able to showcase some of the work that we do in sort of uh, an intriguing way. And so, mm-hmm. and, and, and make it educational. So right. that was, the, that was the goal of that, that video. Yeah. And I think, I don't think people realize like some of the stuff that's going on behind the scenes, you know what I mean? Like we, and as hunters too, you know, I think we take for granted all this, you know, all, all the expanse of land that we have access to, and then the things and the people that play roles in, in making sure that we have those places to go and then to make sure that they're preserved, you know, not just, you know, mostly for the wildlife, but also for us, you know, to recreate on. So, um, you know, I just thought it was really cool. I'm like, oh, you know, I love learning new stuff and especially like just knowing uh, that people in the hunting community as well are contributing back. And, and I, I think there's a lot of people that don't realize that. So that's awesome. Good job. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. My pleasure. It's fun. <laughs> uh, so I just wanted to chat um, real quick about how we met. And this is this is actually the first conversation that we've had. Uh, Garrett Rock, a mutual friend of ours, he introduced us. And um, for those who missed the interview that I did with him, be sure to go back and check that one because that was a, that was a really great episode. Uh, but anyway, so he introduced us and um, I want to read what he said about you in the email because it, it like really speaks to your character. And I think it's really important that people know who you are outside of like the incredibly beautiful content that you put out on your social media channels. Um, and so this is part of what he said in the email. He said, Ricky, Josh is too humble to brag about his hunting accomplishments, outdoor accomplishments and family man accomplishments. But they are beyond the realm of comprehension for most Western hunters. 
The numbers would leave most assuming Josh has some sort of privileged access or lacks a job. Neither are true. He's just that good. (laughs) And I thought that was really great. And then to which you replied, you said, thank you for the introduction as well as the kind words. They are extremely meaningful coming from a guy as solid as yourself. Just this morning, I listened to your podcast on the drive to the office, and it was fun to listen and offered some insight into what makes you tick. Super relatable. So I, the reason I wanted to read that is because um, I first I wanted to say thank you for listening. And also, um, it's just it's really good to hear that the content is relatable. And, you know, people don't have a tendency to, like, just come right out of the woodwork and, and be like, hey, you're doing great. Keep on going. Keep on going. Say. So, So you kind of just like creating this stuff and you don't really know if it's impacting anybody or not. And so I appreciate you saying that because now it's like, now I know like even if what I'm the work that I'm doing only impacts one or two people, uh, it just, to me that, that means a lot. And that's all that I need to just like keep on going. You know what I mean? Cause there's a lot of work that goes into making a podcast. And so it's really good just to get that feedback back. And so I really appreciate that. And I just also want people to know, um, you know, the kind of guy that you are and, and the personality that you have. So, um, you know, thank you for that and keep on just being awesome. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. I think, uh, listening to your guys' discussion was, it was great. Um, it was very relatable. I mean, I think just having like just regular people on that have an interesting story and are, you know, can articulate their thoughts. It just, I don't know, it just makes it interesting to listen mm-hmm. to. And I, I think if you keep that, keep that up, it's, you're going to do great. Um, yeah. Yeah. And thanks Thank for you. having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel honored, you know, and just, and, and kind of just like a pod doing some research and things and, and, you know, just looking through your social media pages and everything. It's like, um, you're pretty well connected and what, blows my mind is that and the same thing like with Garrett is that we're we've only been this one just one person removed you know what I mean we we both have the same passions you know um you know grew up during similar times you know with archery in our lives for the for the most part uh and so um just kind of cool that now we're, we're connecting and and now we're having these chats and that's again I say this over and over again in all the previous podcasts but I love how something as simple as a bow can bring so many people together and create all these uh connections so it's it's really cool yeah archery is awesome i mean that's all i have to say about it yeah <laughs> it's been a it's been a driving force for me like like i said earlier from the from the beginning and yeah it's something that i'll do till till i'm dead i mean yeah. there's no other way to put it yeah it that just made me think too of uh, a gentleman um that stopped into our pro shop here the other day stopped in and he's got a bow that uh, he wants to get some new cams on it so it'll fit his draw length and everything like that and man he is I I don't know how old he is but he just kept saying you know I just I can't I I will shoot a bow until the day I die he kept saying to me he was like I know I look like a like a beaten dog that just got hit by a car but I'm gonna keep shooting a bow for the rest of my life and I'm just like I love that you know because I'm like you know you could shoot a crossbow right and he goes, well, what do you think about crossbows? And I said, oh, to be honest with you, I don't really like them. He goes, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, just, you know, again, the, just the passion that it puts uh, in people and 
And I just love, you know, it would be just, it'd be easy to just go to a crossbow, but he refuses to, he's going to keep shooting the bow till the day he dies. So I love that. I also want to talk about, so um, you're a writer uh, and you write for some pretty well-known publications and with all the days you spend in the field, I guess it's only fitting that you write product reviews as well. And so a lot of the product reviews that uh, you have out there are currently on rockslide.com. I wanted to ask what, what would you say is your favorite piece of gear that you used in 2023? I would say without giving it a whole lot of thought, it would have to be Exo's new K4 backpack. It's an, it's, it's an incredible piece of gear. I've tested and used almost every backpack on the market. And over the years I've written, I don't know how many reviews on rock slide, you know, covering stone glacier, Exo, Sitka backpacks, and they're all great. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, I've owned Kafaru's, um, uh, mystery ranch. I've got a couple of those hanging out. I mean, they're, I mean, they all are awesome packs, Mm -hmm. but to me, this XO just hit, it ticked, checked all those boxes. Um, it's light, it's stable. It's incredibly comfortable. It's simple in the way it operates, like, you know, pulling the bag off the frame and whatnot. It's super adjustable. Um, it, it just, it ticked every box that I, I really needed in a backpack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it really stood out and I didn't write a review on it. Um, I, there was a review written by another writer for rock slide. Okay. But I just, I, I looked at the way it was built. I talked to Mark from XO down at the, uh, hunting expo, Western hunting expo in salt Lake. Okay. Yeah. Er, early in 2023. And looked at them in person, and then we we connected, and I ended up buying one from XO to use for the season, and it was it was amazing. I packed, yeah. I think I ended up carrying four elk out with it. Oh wow! Over the course of the season, and man, it just handles load heavy loads extremely mm. well. Yeah, um, yeah, it just it fits nice, no hot spots. It just transfers the weight to your hips really well. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. by far it was my favorite piece okay. uh, gear for 2023. Cool. Yeah, and, and the reason I wanted to ask you that is just I read this, uh, I think, on Rockslide that you probably spend. It was about two. I spent about 200 days outside every year. Yeah. I think that might have been what you read. Yeah. But I spend about, about 50, 40 to 50, sometimes, well, 40 to 50 nights out hunting in yeah. the season. Yeah. And that's huge. And even, even if it's, even if you're not hunting, you know, maybe you're using it for something else too. Right. But right. to me, that just, that says a lot. Cause there's, there's a lot of reviews out there and who's to say, you know, if, if, it, if that piece of equipment really do the ringer. Right. And with that many hours spent uh, out in the wilderness, you know, it can only mean that you've really put in the work, you've really put in the time. Uh, so that tells me a lot about the review that you gave on that product. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, Ricky Bruley here, Vapor Trail. We're really excited about some new features that we've just added to the Gen Integrate X Limb Driver Aero Ref. The 
previous model that we had had the micro adjust knob that stuck out and so it made it difficult to remove these one piece low pro quiver from Matthews. We've eliminated that knob and now it's an Allen key that you would use to make that adjustment. We thinned up the area here where the activation cord is as well. We really squeezed it in about a quarter of an inch. It's a little bit lower profile so now you don't have any issues with the low profile quiver comes off nice and easy. And you also have, of course, the added feature of the integrated mounting system. So you can mount the arrow rest right to the rail on the riser of the bow. Additional features include new markings that differentiate your locking screws from your windage and elevation screws. All Vaportrail arrow rests have a free floating head, providing more forgiveness and greater downrange accuracy. No need for a bow press, simply tie the activation cord to the limb and say goodbye to interference with cam timing caused by cable-driven arrow rests. The new and improved GI-8X is available and ready to ship. Trust the originators of limb-driven technology and head over to our website at vaportrailarchery.com or stop into your local archery pro shop to get yours today. So, hey folks, here we are back again, me and Josh, uh, we had, were having a conversation last week. I had some technical difficulties and so we just basically had to call it, uh, and come back again. So Josh, I just want to say thank you. I appreciate your patience and, and I really appreciate you coming back on here so we can finish this thing up. Yeah, you bet. No problem. Yeah. Not an issue on my end. <laughs> so where we, where we ended was we were talking about, uh, your favorite piece of gear. Uh, um, and that was the, the Exos pack, uh, that you were talking about and also kind of went into the amount of time that you spend out in the wilderness, 200 plus days, um, because of your pastime and also because of your profession. And I noticed on your Instagram page that you had some success this year with elk. And so I just wanted to ask if you would mind telling that story about how that all went down. Yeah, you bet. I, um, so I hunted a lot in September and I had some close calls with elk and I, I have, I had two tags in my pocket. One was a, a Montana general tag, um, which I'm a resident of. And then I also had a non-resident Idaho tag and I don't live too far from Idaho. So I can, you know, bounce over and, and hunt it pretty quick mm -hmm. if I need to, yeah. but I didn't get a chance to really get in there in archery season. Cause I was just so focused on hunting Montana. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I, it was coming down to the wire, uh, in Montana and our archery season runs into mid October, but I had a friend coming, um, David Brinker was coming over to go mm. hunt in Idaho with me with our rifles. So I was like, man, I've got, if I'm going to kill a bull in Montana with my bow, I better do it. <laughs> I have this weekend because mm -hmm. it, uh, Idaho started on the 10th. Um, and I believe it was the seventh when I killed this Montana bull, but, um, spoiler alert. Um, the, uh, so yeah, I, I, I was working down on this river project and we were working late, like a Friday and I was just antsy to get out of there. And my coworker was like, what are you so wound up about? I'm like, dude, I gotta go, I gotta go home and get my stuff together. I need to go. This is my last weekend I can hunt. Mm -hmm. I need, I, and then like my archery season is effectively over in Montana. So I need to go. And I was like, I have a date tomorrow with a bull at noon. I'm going to go kill a bull by at noon tomorrow. Yeah. And the, the USGS guy's like, noon, are you kidding me? Yeah, whatever. I'm like, no, man, this really, I like a lot of the elk I kill are midday. 
Yeah. And he's so, you know, I went in and told him all about, you know, my theory on that. So mm -hmm. the next morning, me and a buddy, we went up into the mountains. We hiked in, hunted, um, heard a couple bulls, glass some across the drainage, but there were some fairly close. And mm -hmm. we ended up just kind of pushing them through the timber and they just kept just going around the mountain and it's just this big rounded knob that doesn't have any real defining features mm -hmm. other than it's just you can just tell you're going around the mountain just by where the sun is in the sky that's about it yeah so but we could kept hearing this bull he was just seemed further and further away but we just we just couldn't like catch up and, and really pinpoint and finally we kind of lost where he was headed and so i'd hunted up there a few times Mm -hmm. I killed, I think I killed a couple bulls in there in the past, but I had a good idea where, where he's elk like to go bed midday. So I told Tyler, my hunting partner at the time was like, let's, let's get down onto this little bench. And I, I, I think right there's where that bull's going to end up. It's North facing, it's brushier than heck. It's mm -hmm. kind of right on the edge of this little kind of some more open timber. I was like, I, that's a good spot. Let's I think we're going to, he's going to hang up in there. And if we're going to have a chance at this bull, this is where it's going to happen. And so we were cruising down and we ended up bumping a cow and a calf out of their beds just right before we get to this big bench. Oh. And uh, they kind of, they didn't really know it was up, but they kind of caught some movement. So they spooked out to Shoot. our right. And that's, that's what I thought. I was like, oh, dang it. You know, <laughs> but nothing else took off. Mm -hmm. and uh, so we kind of dropped down to where they kind of just bumped out and we called a few times and we didn't hear anything and we we're just getting ready to leave and I my buddy started walking away and I heard a really light fluty bugle that sounded fairly close mm -hmm. and I, I grabbed him like did you hear that Tyler and he's like no I didn't because <laughs> he was walking and making noise it was light enough for like if you were making a footstep or something, it would have covered up the, the sound. Sure. So I said, yeah, I heard one. I swear I heard one. So I bugled again and we kind of stood there and I kind of, I thought I heard a thump. And so I looked at him and he looked at me and we both kind of had that look. Yeah, I heard that too. And, mm -hmm. and you know, as soon as you start hearing that thump, thump, you know, it's about to happen because yeah. it's, it's kind of weird how that grounds kind of sounds hollow up in, mm -hmm. up in the Alpine. And it's like, Oh, that was definitely hooves. Yeah. So we both just, you know, ripped an arrow out and got it knocked and we were standing there and trying to listen, listen, listen. And then like right in front of us, I don't know, 30 yards away, I could just see these tines coming up the hill, just slowly mm -hmm. being revealed as he walked up and kind of threw some brush. And eventually, you know, he walks up and just walks straight, straight in front of us hmm. stops at about 20 yards just looking right to where he heard us call mm -hmm. he just had us pinpointed couldn't see us but we're standing there wide up you're just standing straight up <laughs> i wouldn't say wide open we had some brush behind us to break up yeah. our outline but he just stood there and stared and it was a you know it was a small five point and Pretty soon he's just like, well, that's where the sound came from. That's where I'm headed. So he just started yeah. walking. And I, I thought, man, there's, he's going to step within like five feet of me and spook, or he's going to be within, I might as well just try to draw my bow as he's coming in. There's a little Christmas tree that his eyeball was going to pass behind. Sure. And I thought, man, if I can get that bow back as his eyeball passes behind that 
tree. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I have a chance. Yeah. And so I just, I drew as slow as I could. And just as my cam rocked over, he kind of caught that movement and he mm-hmm. just jumped and spooked and looked back quarter. And I cow called too. I had a read in my mouth. So mm-hmm. I cow called at full draw and he's looking back over his shoulder and it was a, t- it was a hard, hard quarter and shot, mm-hmm. but he was close enough. And I th- I'm just like, I've just buried that pin, right. Kind of right in front of his hip, you know, mm-hmm. and thought, well, here we go. Boom. I, you know, I just cut it loose and buried up to the knock and he whirled and ran over the hill and Tyler's, you know, Oh man, you got, yeah. And I shot, <laughs> that's a dead bull. I think I saw him stumble <laughs> and fall as he was going over the rise. Uh-huh. And uh, I was like, yeah, that was perfect tonight. I pulled out my phone and looked at it. It was like 1215. So it's it <laughs> like 15 minutes late. There so, you go. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. He ran down the hill and he kind of stumbled around and he left a, a good blood trail. And mm-hmm. yeah. So that was my last minute bull. So, That's cool. In Montana. So yeah. I had a data data. We packed half of them out that night and then we came back the next day, packed the other half out. And then the following day, Brinker was showing up. Okay. So I, I got up really early, drove my meat to the, to the meat locker, came back, met him. And then we packed up, I I loaded up my backpack and then we, we hit headed to Idaho and then hiked in five miles that night back into the back country to go hunt Idaho. Mm -hmm. The next day I killed a bull in Idaho with my rifle opening day of, of, of Idaho rifle season, packed cool. that bull kind of up out of this Canyon and hung it on a Ridge, went back and got our camp, packed it out in the rain. Very next day, went back in and packed elk quarters. So it was like five days of like nonstop packing stuff, oh, heavy, heavy loads. So <laughs> I was, I, I was whooped by the end of that little. I, I, I bet. I, um, and how about, so was David just tagging along or did he have a tag too? And did he fill his or, uh, yeah, he had a tag as well. Um, mm. he was here, let's see. So the day I, he went and hunted the day I packed the Idaho bull out and then I took a day off. So he went and hunted by himself again. Mm. And then I went and hunted with him a, a little bit more, but yeah, he, we, we were, it rained. It got really wet. The mm-hmm. elk kind of stopped bugling. They got hunkered down. We weren't getting into a whole lot. And he's just like, yeah, I think I might just head home and catch my kid's <laughs> soccer game. There you go. <laughs> I don't blame him. The, the hunting was getting difficult. Right. Right. Um, and he had a Montana tag. He had three tags. So he had okay. an Oregon and Idaho and a Montana mm-hmm. tag. So I, I automatically associate elk hunting with rain because I've actually only had, I've only had one opportunity to elk hunt. And, um, I hunted Idaho in 2019 and, uh, that's all it did was rain. I mean, every day it was rain, 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 rain. It just nonstop. I mean, but at the same time, you know, we had, we had good gear, so it wasn't, uh, wasn't the end of it, but you know, it was, it was me and another buddy of mine. And then we, we didn't have, all we were doing was just laying on Tyvek underneath, uh, you know, like a Kafaru, um, canopy. So yeah. Um, yeah, one night it came down, it was coming down so hard that we had to just like, we just threw everything in our packs and we just hiked the, I think it was like almost five miles in we've hiked all the way out and then just like hunkered down in the truck for a little while. So our gear could dry out and then came back out the next morning. But that was, that was a blast. I mean, I, I had some opportunities at some, 
at, at a real nice bowl. Um, I kind of blew that whole, whole deal. And then, um, didn't end up panning out, but it was a really fun trip. We actually ran into a, a group of individuals. Uh, I think it was like six or seven guys from Wisconsin and they were all like in their sixties and seventies and they had hiked all the way up there. They, they brought a, um, they had a pack horse in with them too, to bring in a lot of their gear. And it was really cool because they offered to, they were like, yeah, if you get an elk, we'll pack it out for you with our horses. And I was Ooh, like, yeah. wow, that's awesome. So I ended up shooting a couple of grouse while I was out there too. And so I ended up giving them the grouse, you know, just as like prepayment for yeah. helping <laughs> us get our elk out, but, um, they didn't need to help us unfortunately, but it's, it's tough. It is though. I mean, it's, it's amazing the things, everything that has to come together, like you're saying, you know what I mean? Even just being conscious of that bull's eye going behind that tree, you know, all those little things, you know, some of the Western hunting I've done for mule deer when I was, um, when I was kind of, uh, cutting my teeth on that, you know, and, and this friend of mine that I was hunting out there with, you know, he's like, okay, we're going to come up over this rise and that bull or that mule deer is going to be right down there. But he's like, we need to wait because we had the sun kind of behind us. He's like, we need to wait for a cloud to come in and cover that sunlight because otherwise we're going to cast that shadow over our heads. And I would have never thought of that. You know what I mean? And again, I was brand new to it. But yeah. just some of those, even just the littlest details that you got to think about that could could mm -hmm. get you busted, you know. So, yeah, I mean, for elk, like hunting elk, it's like it's always like being seen. Like we're such we're dealing with such close engagement distances mm -hmm. that they'll pick up on any movement. Yeah. They're, they're looking. And so I'm always watching their eyeball. I mean, if, if, yeah. it, if I can't see their eyeball, I feel pretty safe moving, but mm -hmm. I, I am pretty rock still when, yeah. even if I can't see their eyeball, but I, I I'm always watching that. And I use that the time I draw and mm -hmm. that's, because if you can see their eyeball, they're going to see you move right at that, at that distance. And sure. I mean, that's when the things come on, come apart. I got lucky and that bull stopped to look back because he wasn't quite sure what exactly he saw. And mm -hmm. I'd also cow called and there were other, there were elk in the area. Um, so I think that saved my, my bacon on that one, but man, <laughs> a big bull, he'd have turned, if that would have been a big like an old bull, he'd have turned mm -hmm. inside out getting out of there. And I just yeah. knew I had another shot at him. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And then, you know, and to speak of what you're saying, one of the opportunities that I had, and, and again, this is, this attributes to my, you know, rookiness when it comes to that kind of stuff, but just trying to like understanding how far away a bull is, uh, was something that I was, that I was learning. And, um, so we had a setup where, um, my buddy stayed kind of down, there was, there was a bull up, uh, up on this rise. And so he's kind of stayed down low and he was like, you know, go, you know, go about a hundred yards up the hill there and then just kind of, you know, um, tuck yourself into some brush and I'll call. And then hopefully we can, you know, lead them past, uh, and you can get a shot. And I'm like, perfect. So I'm working my way up there and I can hear him bugling and I'm like, okay, he's still a little ways out there. So I've got you know, I've got some room here where I can, you know, maybe work my way in just a little bit closer. And as I'm, as I'm working my way in, you know, just really nice and slow and nice and easy. And all of a sudden I come around this bush and I've got a narrow knock to just in case. And, and all of a sudden I can see just the back of, you know, his, that horizontal line of his back. There's a big piece of deadfall right there, but I can just see his back over the top of that. And I can see the tines just kind of moving around a little Ooh. bit. 
and it's probably, I mean, we're talking not even 20 yards, probably 18, 18 yards or so. And so I just froze and I was just sitting there and all of a sudden he just picks his head up and looks right at me. And I'm like, Oh boy, like I'm kind of out in the open too, you know, and I'm, I'm on a, I'm on the hillside. So I don't have a lot of brush behind me at that point. And I'm just like, Oh man, I'm just, I'm, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to squint my eyes and just hope that my camo does the work. <laughs> and it, it, it didn't, I, what I should have probably done was just at least tried to draw my bow and, and maybe he would, you know, like you said, maybe kind of turn and then move and look back or something. But I just froze and hope and hope, hopes that he would put his head back down but no he was out of there <laughs> peeled out and then he just shredded it like a like an eight foot pine tree he just went over and just shredded it and turned oh. it into a toothpick man so he yeah. was pretty fired up but we never saw him again so <laughs> that's my closest encounter oh. Was, oh man that right there had me hooked so I, I can't wait to get back oh it's exciting it's it's what i live for every year it's yeah. like the best time of the year period well folks uh that brings us to the end of this episode uh josh thanks again so much for your time today i appreciate your patience and coming back on the show so that we can finish this up uh where can people find you if they want to follow your journey and uh, get in touch with you um they can find me on instagram just it's josh underscore boyd underscore montana maybe something like that if you just type that right. in you underscore mt <laughs> if you if you type that in you'll find me um yeah. or you could uh, find me over on rock slide which is the website that i do most of the gear reviews for and my username there is just josh boyd and i have reviews posted on the main page you can find those check them out or you can just find me in the forums there I'm usually, I, I'll go and visit those like once a day, answer questions and, and uh, keep up with things. Yeah. So, and I've gone through a handful of those reviews too. Great reviews. Um, and your writing awesome. is, you're a great writer. And so everybody make sure you go check them out. Uh, and there you have it folks. Uh, make sure you uh, head over uh, to the range podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and soon X and TikTok as well. I'm working on some dance moves here, so that's probably how we'll debut that. Uh, also, be sure to head over to the Vapor Trail and Stoker Eyes social channels and give us a follow over there. And don't forget about the video version of this podcast on the Vapor Trail YouTube channel. Make sure you uh, give subscribe, give us a like, and hit that bell so you can be up to date on all things archery. And of course, if you're listening, do me a favor, give us a rating and make certain that you give us five stars. And with that, we are going to pack up our bows and we are hitting the range. Have a great day, everybody. Vapor Trail is now offering an exclusive discount to the Range Podcast listeners. Enter promo code TRP15, that's TRP15, at checkout for 15% off VTX bowstrings and Vapor Trail and Stokerize branded t-shirts, hats, and other gear.